This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Come on, remain standing as Sabrina comes to read the word this morning. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was a Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day of doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. And it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they would kill Jesus. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the east of the Jordan River, and even from as far as the north, Tyre, and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed the disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus named them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again, so he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard about what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived in Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. 
He told them this because they were saying he is possessed by an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand for the reading of the word. I want to pray for you and bless you, and then let's get into what the Lord wants for us. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. As we get ready now to open it up to our heart, I pray that it already has found good ground from what was read by Sabrina, that it finds a good ground in our heart. And now I pray that as I speak that my words will help and that my words will be from you and they will encourage us for what you want for this body today and that we will go out equipped by you to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for coming today. I do pray that what I share with you will bless you and it will challenge you. Uh, The goal of today and every day when we come together here on the corner at Believer's Church is that you don't just go away saying that was a good sermon. That's a wonderful thing because in the emotional moment, it does help to hopefully hear a good sermon. But the goal is life change. The goal is to be equipped for Jesus. The goal is to be more like Christ and less like yourself. And so as I have been praying over this this week, and I've been asking Jesus what to say from these 35 verses because it's so packed full of good stuff and trying to land the plane on what to say, Thursday of this week as I was praying over that, I felt the plane landed on verse 3, and I would like you to put your eyes on the TV for verse 3, because I believe this is what the Lord wants for our house and perhaps for you today. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. When I put my heart on that, it kind of stung a little bit. Because as I thought through it, I thought, who wants to be that guy? Who wants to be the person in the room that in a public assembly, you're called up to stand in front of everybody, and you don't even know what's going to go down? You just do what you do every single week. You come to the synagogue. You have a deformed hand. You probably keep your hand tucked away nicely in your tunic so nobody will see it. And the reason why is because you're part of a religious system that is striving daily for perfection. Everything about the Jewish religion was be perfect. Even Jesus in his first message in the Gospel of Matthew will say this, For be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection was one of the things that was required by the law. Perfection was required from every sacrifice you would bring God. So now you're a young dude and you're part of the perfectionist movement. You're part of the movement of Judaism that is one of perfectionism. It's the only way you can get close to God. You never can get close enough to God. 
if you're dirty, if you're evil, if you're sinful, if you ever want to know how hard it was to get to God, read the book of Leviticus. You could not even get within an arm's length of God if anything was wrong. A blemish, an eye problem, an ear problem, a hair problem, a skin problem, a height problem. It even says in one version that midgets were not even allowed to serve God. You could not be a dwarf. You could not be too short. You couldn't be too fat. You couldn't be nearsighted and or farsighted. You couldn't be bald and have your hair falling out. You couldn't have a scab on your arm or a pimple on your forehead. If you did, you were considered as blemished and unperfect. And so Jesus walks into a religious system on this day. And when he walks into this religious system on this day, he decides to use a man for a great object lesson. How many of you would like to be called out right now and I put you up here and use you for an object lesson? It's not that fun. The moment they call your name, your heart begins to race. Oh my God, what's he going to do? He just asked me to come up on stage in front of people. Am I going to have to preach? What am I going to say? Oh God, is he going to embarrass me? Oh, I hate being in public. I hate all eyes on me. Can you imagine if you're this guy though? You see, we live in a world that's almost the same way. We live in a world that strives to look differently than we really are. We live in a world where perfectionism is literally garnered on every social media account. The way you look, the way you appear to look, the way you think you look, the filters you use to look that way. Even fat people can look really skinny just by shifting a camera. I can change everything about me with the shift of a little camera. And if I don't like it, I delete it. If I do like it, I keep it. If I really like it, I share it. And then even when I share it, I act like it's still ugly. But you know you shared it because you think you're hot. (laughs) Because you wouldn't have shared it if you didn't think that. So even though you act like it's no big deal, it is a big deal to you. It made it on your social media. But can you imagine this guy? The guy that's in the back of the room, the guy that never measured up, the guy that's part of a religion that says you'll never be what God wants you to be. You'll never be able to be used by God. You'll never be chosen by God. You'll never be destined by God. And then all of a sudden, God walks into the room. And when God walks into the room, there are demons in the room. There's religious people in the room. There's smart people. And he just simply picks the deformed guy out from the back of the room and says, Hey, come here. I don't know if I would like that because the whole way up I'd be like, oh God, forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. We don't like to be publicly on display except that I've had an opportunity to filter me. I love being on display when I can mask the authentic me. But I don't like being on display when I can't filter it. If you don't believe the power of that, have a kid that is a girl and take a picture of them and then try to post it without their approval. (laughs) Or a wife. (laughs) Honey, come here, we're on a date. And she comes, I say, let's do a selfie together. I'm terrible at it, it's always blurry, but click. And as soon as I click it, she goes, let me see it. (laughs) And I go, why? You're beautiful. Uh, I want to see it. i got to approve it before it makes it. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just the normal thing we all do. I want to see it. And then I always get deleted, just delete it. I'm like, no, I don't want to delete it. I want to keep it on my phone. I think you're good looking. No, that's horrible. Delete that. Don't you dare. That's what comes from my children. Come here, girls. Let's spend time with Dad. Click, click, click. Oh, my God, Dad, don't you dare post that. I'm like, your girls are beautiful. You see, nobody wants their deformity to be on display. So the guy gets up there with his hand in his pocket and he's standing with Jesus and 
Jesus is going to use him as an object lesson. It seems so unfair. Why are you going to pick on the guy's weakness? Why are you going to use this deformed man for your object lesson? You should just leave him alone. I, I just think you should just leave him because here's what we can deduce from that. All the years the man has been part of the system, the system has never fixed his deformity. That's the one thing about religion. It will keep you in the game for years, but it will never touch the real problem. You can run from church to church, from place to place, and you can get involved and you can be in part of the whole system of religion. You can go every week, every Wednesday, every Thursday to every meeting and be on every team and give the tithe and give the offering. But at the end of the day, none of that does anything for the deformity of the heart. And so all of a sudden I'm con connected to this moment where the son of the living God known by name to the devils in the room known by name of everybody around him chooses a deformed guy and says come here son and stand by me. He's just gone against everything the law stands. He has, he has allowed a deformed man to be not only in his presence but to be standing right beside him in the middle of the room. And he's about to flip the flip on us. I love what David was telling me at the end of service. That He said, man, what a great opportunity for God to flip the script. Years and years of religion, and all of a sudden, in one moment, God flips the script on you. I don't know how many of you have been coming to church for years and years and years, but today the Lord would like to say, I want to touch that thing in you that's been deformed. Just so you understand the, the meaning behind the word deformed. Because it throws like all kind of, what do you mean by deformed? It lends itself to mean that his arm was paralyzed and therefore it had atrophied. That, that's the deformed, you know, not necessarily that his fingers are all withered up and deformed, but, but that something had happened in his life, it kind of lends itself of being paralyzed. And then the paralysis has caused the muscles to atrophy and the hand to atrophy. So therefore, even though it still looks like an appendage and it still functions or looks like an arm and it looks like a hand, it has zero functionality. And as I was reading that this week, it dawned on me, I wonder how many of us that are Christians are still part of the body. We look like the body. We say the chants. We have the bumper stickers. We wear the shirts. We get on the teams. But in truth, if we're just going to be gut level honest, our spirituality has atrophied. We just are dysfunctional in the kingdom. We really can't do anything for God because we're so hurt. We're disillusioned. We're broken. We've been stabbed in the back. Somebody's done me wrong. And then we try our best to keep the rules. We try our best to be perfect. And God's like, look, just, just get over it. Come up here, Mark, and stand by me. Uh, oh, God, okay. And then I get up here and stand by him. Look at the next verse. Here's where it starts getting pretty thick. So he turns to his critic and asks something. Now, here's what you got to understand the power of this verse. This is what you have to get in your brain. It'll help. In your brain is who is declared to be the Son of God, but religious people hate him. They've declared him to be the devil. You have standing next to the Son of God a deformed man, which according to Jewish law should be off limits. I'm assuming with his hand tucked in his tunic because it's probably pretty embarrassing to be part of a religion where you know you don't measure up. 
And now you're on display. And so Jesus is about to use this guy. I called him Barry in the first service, so I'll keep the same name. Jesus is about to use Barry for an object lesson. I don't even know if I like that. That seems unfair. That Jesus is going to use me to be an object lesson for people. So he says now, before he ever deals with Barry, or says another word to Barry... He turns to all the people in the room, the people that have been coming week after week, day after day, year after year, and can do nothing about the deformity. He turns to them and he labels them this, my critics. Because oftentimes criticism will make you feel really spiritual, but you have zero power. Criticism will make you feel really special and religious, but there's nothing in your life that's appealing at all for people to know God. So Jesus turns to him and he asks a question. Does the law, he takes him back to Leviticus. He reminds him, they're already thinking law. How could this guy with a deformed hand? And now he brings it to him. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day, and here it comes, this is the real kicker, because he's going to draw a line in the sand for them. Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? Can you imagine the pressure in the room? Your life, deformed as it may be, is in the middle and you are the line in the sand. You, not Jesus, you are the line in the sand. Jesus has picked you out to be a display of two options. You will either be a display of death or a display of life. And the question is, will you let me use you? And if you will, you could display life. If you don't, you're going to display destruction. Now it comes down to, am I willing to let God use me to display His life? Am I willing to be on display, whether you like it or not, you are. Whether you think you are, you are. People are watching you. People you work with, people you live with, they watch your life. And your life is either an example of a destructive nature who doesn't know God and is nothing but religion, or your life is a display of His peace and His power and you connect people to the relationship of Jesus. Both have great intention. Both have great power. If you listen carefully, you will hear the words of young people. I'm saying young, 20 and under. They're sick of religion. They're tired of us faking it. They're tired of us acting ways that doesn't change us at all. They're tired of the show. They're tired of all the money. They're tired of all the hype. And they simply want to know, to what we believe, is it either life or is it going to destroy us? You tell me it's life, but it's destroying my parents. You tell me Jesus is life, but it destroyed my marriage. You tell me Jesus is life, but it destroyed my friend. You tell me Jesus is life, but my ex-husband destroyed me. And now people start questioning, is this Jesus really who he says he is? And that's what they're arguing in the room that day. Is he really the son of God? And so he's got little Barry, and he goes, okay, Barry... I'm going to use your life as an example of either death or life. Are you ready, Barry? Verse 5. He looked around at them. Who is them? It's critics. Is Barry included in the them? No. He has no anger toward Barry at all. 
God is not bothered by your hurts and your past or anything. God's not mad at you at all. You could have blown it a million times over. He's not even mad at you. He's not angry at you. But when he calls your name, he needs you to come. And he's not calling your name to embarrass you. He's not calling your name to go, I told you so. He's calling your name because he wants to offer you a peace that passes all understanding. He wants to offer you a life. But you have to be willing to raise your hand and go, okay, I'll go. I'll respond to him. You can't just sit in a chair and go, well, I guess if God... No, you have to respond to him. You have to say yes to him. And so now he looks around angrily at all the people saddened by their hard hearts. Why? How would he know their heart? Well, first we could say he's God. He knows everybody's heart. Let's go there. He's God. He knows your heart. And he says everybody in the room has got a hard heart. But let's say, how else could he know that their hearts were hard? Their hearts were hard because they were perfectly content to let Barry stay deformed. And they were perfectly content to let Barry continue in the same problem he's had his whole life and never do anything about it. And any time a person who claims to be religious will just allow humanity to stay in their deformity without doing anything but criticize, your heart is hard. Go to church as much as you want, your heart is hard. If you're going to sit there as a Christian and criticize every LGBTQQRA, all those little letters we did last week, you want to criticize them and do nothing to bring them life, then you're a hard-hearted critic. If all you want to do is whine about Trump, whine about Pelosi, whine about Biden, you're a hard-hearted critic. But if you want to do something about it, that's different. And is it not easy as a Christian to be part of the critic? To just put your religious eye on it and what I said, I won't go there, but I did last week and label everything but do nothing about it. So Jesus takes it deeper. Saddened. I like that. It's kind of a weird emotional state. Angry but sad. I think he's angry at your hard heart but he's sad because he knows you're missing his life. Angry just because you're stubborn, sad, he really wants to do something great for you. So he said, now here's what's weird. I'm mad at the crowd and I'm sad at the crowd. Then Blumen adjust and talk to the crowd. Wear them out. Tell them how you feel, Jesus. Call them a bunch of hard-hearted, mean, hypocritical. And Jesus doesn't do that. But yet he's angry and saddened, but instead of talking to the crowd, telling them how uh, sad and angry he is with them, he turns to Barry. What? He turns to Barry, the moment in the sand, the line in the sand. I'm not even going to address the mean critics. I'm going to talk to you, Barry. Barry, hey, ready? We're going to blow their mind. You ready? Oh, I don't know. What are you going to do with me? Because everybody's kind of staring at me and I think they're mad. Hey, Barry, I got a question for you. Hold out your hand. And in that moment, the way Jesus is going to address the religious critics is he's going to call on Barry to do something that's probably embarrassing. He's going to call on Barry to get out of his comfort zone. 
He's going to call on Barry to make his weakness known to everybody. He's going to call on Barry to stop hiding behind your fake authenticity, Barry. He's going to look at Barry and say, let's just be gut level honest, Barry. I want you to be truly authentic in front of all these people. Hold your hand out. I love the fact that he didn't call it a deformed hand. I love the fact that he didn't call it a paralyzed hand or an atrophied hand. He just called it a hand. Maybe because Jesus sees something I don't see in people. Maybe I see the deformity, but he sees the reality. Maybe I see the problem, but he sees the promise. I don't know. He didn't say, hey, Barry, hold out your paralyzed hand. He said, Barry, hold your hand out, buddy. Now, maybe Barry held his good one out. It doesn't say. But he just said, hold out your hand. And the reason I know Barry held out the right hand, the one that was deformed, is because the last line in five is, it was restored. Letting me know that when he said, hold out his hand, Barry took a big risk. Because Jesus didn't say, hold out your right hand, hold out your deformed hand. He said, hold out your hand. And many times the hand we want to give people is the good one. We want the good me out front, the, the fake me. The authentic me is hiding behind my fears and my mask and my insecurities and my brokenness and my hurt and my narcissism and all my isms and schisms. It hides behind that and I offer God my good hand. Oh, use me, God. Look at that. That is anointed. Glory to God. I don't know why they hadn't picked me sooner. You see, as humans, we like to talk about the good hand. I like to talk about my skills and my talents and my anointing. I like to impress you. Every preacher does that. Every preacher comes. They study. We study for hours and hours and hours. The Greek and the Hebrew. Why? Because we stand up here. I don't want to put my deformed hand out there. I put my good hand out. The only one I remotely let know my deformed hand is my wife and my mother. Because they've been with me the longest. I will tell you this. You cannot hide a deformed hand from a mother. She will find you out every time. And only a mother can talk to the deformity in your life. And then when you finally think, thank God, mom's out of my life. I can move on with my deformed hand in my pocket. And then all of a sudden I fall in love with Robin. I'm like, hey, hey, I got my good hand loving on her. And then about right when I say, hey, you want to marry me? She goes, hey, what's wrong with that hand? Ow, God. I simply said all that to say this. That a lot of times in church, we only want to go halfway in. We only want to just give the part of me that's kind of good and awesome and anointed. But I don't want to give up the side of me that's deformed. The side of me that struggles. The side of me that is riddled with fears and anxieties. The side of me that is selfish and I want it my way. It's why people can't stay in church long. Because the longer you stay in relationship, the deformity starts getting called out. The longer I'm with Robin, she knows all my games now. She knows all my weaknesses. Is now. Now I can just walk home after a hard day. I don't even have to say anything to her. And she goes, What's wrong? Oh. Because now, at the deeper the relationship goes, the deformity has to come out and be addressed. It's why people struggle to stay so long in a local body. Because the longer you stay, your deformity starts getting picked on. Because God wants to heal it. God wants to restore it. God doesn't want you half in and half out. God wants all of you. And so 
somewhere in this thing we call community, if you give God time, He's working on you. He's pulling the parts of you out that He doesn't like. And He says, Mark, hold out your hand. Oh, man. This goes deeper. So the man held out his hand. I don't know if I would have done it. Hey, Mark, hold out your hand. Why? What are you about to do? Wait a minute, what's your plan? I mean, well, tell me what you want to do first, and then once you tell me what you want to do, I may offer the hand. Isn't that most Christians? Hey, God, I want to go all out for you. Good, give me that broken hand. Oh, no, no, no. Tell me what you want to do with me first. And I love, the, I love the humility of the guy. First off, you in the back, get up here. Oh, God, okay, I'm here. Deformed hand. Hold out your hand. Okay. Have you ever been there before? The vulnerability between hold out your hand and restored. I bet for Barry it felt like a lifetime. I bet it felt like a lifetime. The anxiety of every eye in the room on your weakness. Every eye in the room staring at the atrophied arm. Every eye in the room going, wonder what Barry's going to do. Every eye in the room criticizing. Every eye in the room gawking. Every eye in the room's labeled Barry. I bet for Barry it felt like a lifetime of this moment where every eye's on you and everyone's staring. You're either going to be death or life for people in the room. And then all of a sudden in that moment, the hand becomes alive. And I'm sure Barry starts looking at it like, oh my God, what has happened? Restoration. His His arm is restored. His hand is restored. Oh, surely that would change an entire room. Surely the whole room would erupt with applause. Surely the whole room would be plopped with tackle, Barry. Dude, we got to take some pictures. Click. Hold your hand out, Barry. Click, click, click. Service was good today. Click, click. Barry got healed. Click. We put Barry on a poster. Barry got healed. Barry's healed. Barry's healed. No, not this group of hard-hearted, stubborn people. They left and thought, let's kill Jesus. That's the power of religion. I don't even like it when broken people get restored. The reason I need you to stay deformed is so I can control you. Religion needs you deformed because the more deformed you are, the more control I have over you. I can control your deformity with my rules. I can control your deformity with my religion. I can control your deformity with my my dictatorship because if I can keep you broken, I can control you. And religion keeps us broken, never measuring up, never good enough. It's the way we men in our egotistical ways can control the crowd is to keep you broken, always needing me. We don't mind if you serve with one hand, but I can't let you get both because then you get free. And you need me. You need me. And so Jesus is like, Barry, let's blow their mind. hand is restored and to our knowledge not really one person rejoices with Barry but Jesus gives us a great object lesson that in that moment of time Barry's life became an object lesson for the true power of Jesus' restoration Barry's weakness became a sign of God's life 
Barry's weakness became the sign of God's life. In a generation that we live in right now, I often wonder if we believe my weakness will be a sign of God's life. Will I say today, God, use me? You see, when you walk out the door today, you have an opportunity. You can keep the deformity in your hand and go out with every hurt and anxiety and trepidation and fear and continue to live all you've lived. Keep giving money, keep taking communion. But truthfully, still broken, still atrophied, still not really free, still not really who God intended you to be. Or you can walk out the door and say, you know what? I'm going to go right back into my 50 feet, my ministry, my 40 hours a week that God has called me to. And I'm going to stand there with my hand up and I'm going to let people know that God can restore. Because I used to be this, but I bumped into His grace. I used to be that, but I bumped into His life. And I'm willing. You may feel like it's an embarrassment, but it's not. Most of you know my story when I fell apart in, in 2010, man, hit rock bottom. I nearly ruined my marriage, ruined my life. I ended up, you know, had an adulterous moment, a one-night stand kind of thing in a deep, dark place. And there's nothing about it this fun to stand up here and go, hey, I just want everybody in the room to know, here's my deformed hand. Because when it happened in 2010, I put my deformed hand in my pocket and I thought, I'm never going to serve God again. I've hurt too many people. I've hurt God. I'm too dirty. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'll never... And then thank God about a year and a half later, God goes, Mark, sure, what? Come here, I want to talk to you. Yeah, what do you want, God? Oh, okay, you want me back in ministry. Okay, here, you can have my hand. And I give him my right hand. You can use me. I'll serve. I'll give. I'll write checks. I'll support. And he goes, nah, I don't want to talk about that hand. I want to talk about the other one. The one that you're ashamed of. The one that you have regrets. The one that you have labeled yourself. The one that's connected to hurts. The one that's connected to all the things that you keep running from. I want to touch that hand. Mark, will you hold it out for me? Right? And I'll never forget how, how free, I'm just going to teach you how freeing it is. I was in front of a group of 100 men and I'd already told my wife that I will never, ever, ever take that deformed hand out of my pocket. It's too hurtful. My sin is too dark. My failure is too deep. I don't mind loving Jesus, but my hand's not coming out of my pocket. I'll never forget, at a men's meeting of 100 men, I'm driving to speak. I was asked to be the speaker. I'm driving there to speak, and I felt the Lord say, Today, you will tell every man what you did. And I said to the Lord, Thank you, but I won't. He said, Okay, we'll talk about this in a minute. I drove, this is the absolute truth. I actually said, No, I won't. And I drove down, I got closer to the church. He said, Today, I want you to stand in front of those men, and I want you to tell them everything you did, every detail. I said, Nope. I've got a great little message. I'm going to give my message. I went in, I got in front of the men, about a hundred men. I got my deformed hand in my pocket and I gave my great little message to all hundred men. It was the end and I said, fellas, I want to pray for you right now. I said, would you bow your head? They bowed their head and I heard in my heart the Lord say this. It was the exact words I heard. 
this is the last time I'm going to ask you to tell every man in this room what you did. And I felt at that moment that God was pretty serious because I started thinking my bowels are going to rush out. <laughs> right? All those Old Testament things, right? The, you're going to get worms and your intestines will blow up. And I, Don't ever read the Old Testament. It's not a good book. Right? It, uh, it's all kind of weird things. And I'm, this is the honest truth. I'm literally sitting in front of those men with my deformed hand, my secret, my sin, my hurt, my the thing that I'm ashamed of, my regret, my every, whatever you label it, like last week. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to tell all those men what you did. And in that moment of time, I said, fellas, I said, look at me a minute. I want to tell you a story. And I took the deformed hand out. I'll never forget it. It was embarrassing. It hurt. It stung. And so I told the whole story, every dirty detail of the story you could remotely tell. And then the way I got around it is I didn't tell them it was me. <laughs> Until the very end. And I said, and fellas, and in that moment of time, I said, and uh, it was me. And I had to be willing to be in front of people and hold my deformity out in front of him and go, it's me. And it was embarrassing in the moment because I thought, what are people going to think about me when I tell them? What will people think? But what I did not know is that the moment I was willing to hold my hand, the King of Kings was going to step in the crowd and he was going to restore people. He was going to use my brokenness to restore people. He was going to use my willingness to be the line in the sand for broken, hurting people to life of people. You see, what we, we must never forget is once the quotations close over my obedience, the miracle power of God will kick in. Once the quotations close and you're done being obedient, God said, now it's my part, and it was restored. The moment I stood up in front of those men in that 50 feet and took my deformity out, and said, oh man, this is me. Ugh. All the dirtiness and the evil and the sin and the darkness is me and I'm so ashamed of it. And I don't ever, I don't even like talking about it. It embarrasses me and my wife. And, and, and I thought these men are never going to even come to talk to me. As soon as it was over, all hundred men were lined up. And they were sobbing and they were crying and they were repenting of flirting with women. They were repenting of pornography. They were repenting of lust. They were repenting of wanting to, uh, to divorce their wives. I mean, a just multitude of men grabbing me and holding on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being willing to be vulnerable. Thank you for being willing to share your pain. Thank you for being willing to share your sin. It, watch, it gives me hope. Do you under, did you ever think your weakness could give somebody else hope? Do you ever think that it, your worst moment could be somebody else's brightest day? You just have to be willing. Bow your heads. I'm going to ask my friend David McIntyre to come and close out with communion. And let him share his heart with you in this next moment of what God puts on his heart for you because this is your moment of truth you leave deformed or you can take a great stand and you can let Jesus take this next few moments to restore you it truly is a 
story about restoration. Here's the thing we don't think about when we hear restoration. It says that he stuck his hand out and his hand was restored, but it wasn't just his hand. The stigma of his deformity was no longer with him anymore. There was no more hiding of that hand anymore. He could walk around in public with his hand fully exposed and there was nothing to keep from anyone at that point because what was once broken was now made whole. And the question is, will we now flip the switch on this thing? and turn on the opportunity for the power of God to flow by giving him that hidden thing. The communion table is designed for such transactions. The communion table is the place where we exalt the body of Christ above our deformity. It's where we declare that the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to wash my deformity and make that which was broken whole again. So I ask you today to use this communion as your opportunity to say, Lord, no more. My church hurts don't get to live anymore. My hurt feelings about family relationships don't get to live anymore. I am no longer going to define myself by my deformity because who I am is that restored person that Jesus gave his body for and shed his blood for. So as we prepare for this communion, let's pray. But more than just pray, let us willingly extend that hand out in our prayer. Father, I'm not enough on my own. I've tried to heal this by myself. I've tried to hide it away and pretend like it doesn't exist. But Lord, now I willingly give it to you. Jesus, restore me. Restore my relationships. Restore the broken places. Restore my broken heart. Restore my broken mind. Open my ears to hear your voice again, God. Open my eyes to see things as you see them. Thank you for your body that you gave for me. I died with you, but now I live anew in you, Father, completely restored. Thank you for your blood shed for me. I am covered in the blood of Jesus, and now because I'm restored, I boldly stand before the Father without fault blameless and holy not because of anything I did but because of what he's done for me as you pray 
and release those things. In your own time, I want you to begin to come up and begin to partake of the bread and body, recognizing and settling at the moment that I take this, this is finished. It's done. The old man passed away. The deformity is no more. And I am whole and new again. And I'm going to tell other people about it so that they may receive hope that it can be for them as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.